You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. So welcome. My name is Mark Kirkendall. If we have not met, I'm one of the leaders here at the White House campus and it is a privilege to be at this campus getting to be involved in a lot of different lives here. And God is really doing something. We can feel His presence moving across this city and this community and we are privileged to be a part of it. And we believe this. Maybe you've come today, maybe today's your very first day or your second or third or hundredth, but you are not here by accident. That whatever you thought might have brought you here, Maybe the alarm went off too early or whatever it was. The kids were up and you thought, well, I might as well go to church. Uh, we want you to know you're not here by accident. That God, before the foundations of the world, he knew we would be here today and he has something for us. And we hope that today as you've walked in and you leave, that you do feel like you have come under the covering of a loving father. So this morning, I want to invite you in your Bibles back to 2 Samuel, we are in a Life of David series. We're coming to the end of this 16-week series. We have a few weeks left, and we have seen David rise from such an ordinary life as a shepherd, going from completely unknown to utterly famous. He showed maturity that is beyond his years, and then we've seen him act like he knew absolutely nothing. We've seen him fearless when everyone else wanted to run and hide. We've seen this patient restraint in unbelievable circumstances. We have watched this man rule from Jerusalem. And last week we saw him climb a hill weeping because of what has happened. So today we're going to pick back up in this story with the life of David. He's on the run. He's heading to the other side of the Jordan River out of Jerusalem. And his very own son Absalom is setting up camp as the self-appointed king. So turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 16 today. What we're going to see today is three major scenes in chapter 16 through the life of David. In fact, all of these scenes we will look at focus on the biggest problem that we have in the relationships that we are in. doesn't matter what it is, whether it's a friend, maybe a child and parent, husband and wife, brother or sister, or even members of a church family. I believe this is one of the biggest problems that we have to hopefully figure out. And what we'll see today is actually in the form of a question. It's how do we respond when we are hurt by other people? Everyone in here, you've suffered this. I know you have. I might have even caused some of it. But you've been hurt by someone's words. You've endured pain, maybe been manipulated. You have felt betrayed, lied to, and hurt by someone's actions or their words. You cannot totally avoid it. So then the question is, what do we do? How do we respond when we're hurt by other people? And we will see it today in full display with David. So chapter 16, we'll begin in verse 1. And here's our first scene. is between David and a man named Ziba. It says, when David had passed a little beyond the summit. 
So he's going over the Mount of Olives, headed towards the Jordan River and beyond. Zeba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of donkeys saddled, bearing 200 loaves of bread, a hundred bunches of raisins, a hundred of summer fruits, and a skin of wine. Now, Zeba, if you remember, we saw him back in 2 Samuel chapter 9. King David finally is sitting on the throne. He finally is experiencing some peace in the land. No more battles for the time being. And he begins reflecting. And he remembers Jonathan, one of his very best friends. Remembers this covenant, this agreement that they made. And David is thinking about that and he's wondering, he asks, is there anybody left from the house of Saul that I can show kindness or hesed towards? And Ziba says, well, there is this one. You probably don't want to hear about him. He's living off in this far land. He's crippled. When the nurse was running, she fell. He's really of no good use to anyone, but his name is Mephibosheth. And so Ziba is that servant that told David about Mephibosheth. And so he shows up as David is fleeing, and Ziba meets him with this impressive buffet. He's got donkeys for them to ride on. He's got raisin cakes, I'm sure they're good, bread, summer fruits, and a skin of wine. So as he's running, he's met with these supplies that probably meant the world to them. But rightly, David is a little bit shocked, because look at what he says in verse 2. And the king said to Ziba, uh, Why have you brought these things? And Ziba answered, The donkeys are for the king's household to ride on. The bread and summer fruit are for the young men to eat, to give them strength. And the wine is for those who faint in the wilderness to drink. So David says, Okay, why have you brought all this stuff? And really, Ziba kind of says, Listen, king, it's really out of the kindness of my own heart. It seems really sweet of Ziba to come all this way to bring these things. But you see your very first twist in verse 3. And the king said, And where is your master's son? Ziba said to the king, Behold, he's in Jerusalem. He, he remains in Jerusalem. For he said, Today, the house of Israel, talking as if he's Mephibosheth, the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father. So David asks, okay, where is Mephibosheth? Ziba says he's back in Jerusalem. But then Ziba tells David that Mephibosheth is trying to win back Saul's throne. So not only is David having to endure being betrayed by his own son, we see here that he's being betrayed by the son of his very best friend. Remember how he treated Mephibosheth? He brought him, he restored the land of Saul. He gave him servants to work the land. Then he says, you will eat at my table forever. He is treating him like one of his own family. And once again, he has to endure this betrayal. Now it seems like Ziba is someone that David can trust. He told David about Mephibosheth, who's living in hiding. In chapter 9, he's a trusted servant of Mephibosheth for now 30 years. He's traveled all this way with food and drink to help the king. So David hears this word from Ziba about Mephibosheth. But what we are going to see a little bit later 
He tells him, hey, Mephibosheth, he's just trying to take advantage. He knows chaos is going on, and he sees this as an opportunity to take back the throne. And think about that. That had to hurt hurt deeply. It had to cut him. I mean, it's kind of hard to imagine this amount of betrayal. That Those closest to you, they're now turning on you. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you've showed kindness to someone. And all of a sudden, they turn around and they hurt you in return. Maybe those closest to you, people that you thought you could really trust, only deliver some blows that are extremely painful. So notice what David does. And man, I think we can relate to this. Look at verse 4. Then the king said to Ziba, Behold, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. And Ziba said, I pay homage. Let me ever find favor in your sight, my lord the king. So David says, whatever was Mephibosheth, guess what? It is now yours. And that seems logical, seems reasonable. It even seems right to me. But David has lost sight of something. If you turn back to chapter 7 and verse 16, God made David a promise. God told David through the prophet that there will be someone to sit on the throne that will always be from your line. Your family, your son, your grandson will always sit on the throne. And David has lost sight of this because Mephibosheth, he comes from the line of David. I mean, the line of Saul, not David. So what we see, as you'll see a little bit later, is that Ziba is actually lying. He's come in and he is trying to gain David's trust. And he lies about Mephibosheth. But David has lost sight of God's promise and his word. So what we see David doing is also true, I think, of every single one of us. And here's kind of what I think is lesson number one from this scene. Is that we make quick, rash, many times bad decisions when we are hurt, when we're troubled, when we're suffering, or we feel rejected. When we are in that place, we tend to make really bad decisions. When we're hurt, we're cornered, we're rejected, that tends to be what happened. And that's what we see with David. He is hurt, and I can understand that. And he feels betrayed, and he lost sight of God's promise. Therefore, he makes a quick and a rash decision. And church, I want to be honest with you. Um... I utterly failed at that this week. Um, The hardest thing about preaching, I don't think is the study, the hardest thing about preaching is always feeling like you're a hypocrite. It's having to get up and teach you about things that that week you utterly fail at. I heard a guy once say, asked a preacher, he said, hey, is it hard to preach about sin with all those experts in the audience? Now, what you know, no, it's not, because you don't have to look past your own nose. And it happened this week, man, I felt hurt. I got my feelings hurt, and man, I made a horrible decision about something. And so it happens to all of us. When we're hurt, we make quick, rash, and many times bad decisions when we are in that place. And that's what happened to David. But then we see another scene in the great news a very different reaction from David. 
This next scene is going to be between David and not Ziba. It moves to a guy named Shammai. It begins in verse 5. When King David came to Bahram, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shammai, the son of Gera. And he came out cursed continually. And he threw stones at David and all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shammai said, to, said as he is cursed, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you. For you are a man of blood. So we could say that Shammai isn't a fan of David. He comes out and he meets him and he starts laying out these insults. The first thing he does, he calls him a man of blood. Basically he says, David, you're nothing but a murderer. Even all the blood of Saul. But you remember David actually spared Saul's life twice. In the cave, he cut off the robe while Saul's taking care of business. And then he even walks into the camp as Saul is sleeping, and he only takes the spear and walks out. So it's totally not true. He is not a man of blood, according to Saul. But then he calls him a worthless man. And this is some very hurtful words. In fact, there is one thing that men, that we probably are most afraid of, and it's being worthless. We want to be known as men that accomplish things. We want to be seen as capable in people's eyes. We feel failure probably among everything else. And he shouts the most insulting thing a man can probably hear. He says, Saul, or David, you are worthless. And he's even throwing stones at this man. He says, in fact, David, you stole the throne from Saul. But David knows this isn't true. He knows that God's the one that placed him there. But not only does Shimei shout insults, he's also throwing rocks and it says dirt at the king. And this picture is almost funny. It, it says that they're on the other side of the ravine. And probably what's happening is they're traveling through this valley. David is surrounded by his men on the other side. And Shammai is on the other side. So he's far enough that he can be heard. But he feels like he's far enough away that he is safe. It's almost like the little kid. Maybe it was you. You'd get up in the treehouse and you'd pull up the ladder. And then you'd you know, call everybody names and stuff because you felt safe up there. And that's what Shimei is doing. He's shouting these insults because he feels like that he is safe. But notice it's almost more than one guy can take. Look at verse 9. Then Abishai, the son of Zeruah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. So um, Abishai is the nephew of David. He's also the one that went into the camp. David's standing over Saul. And he says, hey, let me take this spear. And in one stab, I will pin him to the ground. And David says, no. But Abishai, he wants to go over and he wants to shut up the man in the most severe way. 
He knows it would be hard to shout an insult without a head. So that's what he does. Let me go over. I'll eliminate the problem. But notice how differently David responds this time. Look at verse 10. But the king said, What have I to do with you, you son of Zeruah? If he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, Curse David, who then shall say, why have, uh, why have you to do this? In verse 11. And David said to Abishai and all the servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite leave him alone and let him curse me? For the Lord has told him to do so. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me, so that the Lord will pay me with good for his cursing today. So David and his men went on the road while Shimei went along on the hillside opposite him. And he cursed as he went. He threw stones at them and he flung dust. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan. And there he refreshed himself. So I want you to see some very important things in this scene. First of all, David says, listen, I have bigger things to worry about. My own son is trying to kill me. But then he says, this man might be saying some things that he was told to say. Now stop and think about that for a moment. He's shouting these incredible insults at David. He says, let him do it. Maybe he is supposed to. Because I know for me, it's really hard to endure Hurtful words. It doesn't take much to make me defensive or for me to feel cornered or feel betrayed or to get my feelings hurt. And David hears it and he says, don't do anything. He might be saying something that I need to hear. David says, no, there might be as hurtful as these words are. There might be some truth that I need to hear. I mean, think about how hard that is to do. And if you can do that, please come and show me how. When someone insults you or says something negative about you, that you could stop and think, okay, as hurtful as it is, maybe there's something that I need to hear. And David does that. But the third thing is in verse 13. And I think it's the reason David's able to respond this way. In verse 13, there is this phrase. It's an interesting phrase that can be interpreted really one of two ways, or really even both ways. It says in verse 13, where David says, when opposite the many came along the hillside, in verse 12, and it may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me. And what's happening is that phrase in the Hebrew is kind of like two words that can look very similar but have very different meanings. Like in our English language, it might be something like the word by. If I just say the word by, it might be a prepositional phrase. You know, I went by the store. Or it might be where I'm buying something. Or it might be where I'm saying by, I'm leaving. Or maybe like the word here. I could mean a place, hey, I need you to come here. Or I might want you to listen. So this phrase in the language could mean affliction or it might mean iniquity. In fact, I think they're both could be 
true. So it would be reading like this. Most of our English Bibles say this. May the Lord look upon my afflictions or my troubles. And David says the Lord is going to look on that and he's going to return me good. And man, we've seen that. David's running and God provides someone at just the right time to encourage him, to save him. But he could also mean the Lord may look upon the wrong not done to me, but by me. The Lord may look upon my iniquity and repay me with good. And I think both meanings could very well be true. But think about if it's that second meaning that the Lord would look upon my iniquity in return to me good. And I think this is why David doesn't retaliate against Shimei. Because he's thinking about how God has responded to him. And even though David has sinned and he has rebelled against God, God has repaid him with grace. And I think, therefore, that's what David is doing. He's trying to follow the example. And so, here's lesson two. We can only respond correctly when we are hurt, whether by someone's actions and their words, by focusing on the grace that has been shown to us. Because the honest truth is, you will have chamais in your life. And we've probably been that. People are going to insult you. They're going to deliver harsh words. They're going to be just mean. So I think one thing is to be careful that we are not a chamais. Second, it, it is hard, and I don't know how we do this yet, but sometimes when we hear these things, we need to stop and think, maybe there is some truth I need to hear. But then remember the grace that was first shown to you by the Lord. And by focusing on that, I think it makes it easier to respond correctly. And there's a phrase that I often have to use with myself. I mean, I easily get offended. I easily find myself feeling that way. And it's, I will never have to forgive someone more than I have been forgiven of. Reminding ourselves daily of the grace that has been shown to us. And then as David did, trying to live that out. So I think the first thing we see is we tend to make quick, rash, and bad decisions when we are hurt, suffering, or we feel rejected. And the only way to respond rightly and correctly is by focusing on the grace that has been shown to us. Well, then we get scene three. Now I've got to be a little careful here because... This is not a scene you're going to find in like your children's, you know, golden storybook. There's not a veggie tale that's been written about this scene. So I'll be a little careful. It begins in verse 15. And it's now Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem and Ahithophel was with him. And when Hushai the Archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king! Long live the king! And Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, No, for whom the Lord and his people and all the men of Israel have chosen, he or his I will be, and with him I will remain. And again, whom should I serve? Should it not be his son? As I have entered, as I have served your father, so I will serve you. 
And this is a very interesting interaction. And what we're going to see later is just like Zeba is really lying about Mephibosheth, Hushai is trying to win over Absalom's trust so he can actually help David. Because notice he says, long live the king, long live the king. But he never says who the king is. And then he says, well, who, who is your loyalty? Who are you loyal to? And he says, whom the Lord and all the men of Israel have chosen. Well, who is that talking about? That's David. And Absalom, though, is so blinded by his own vanity and his selfishness that he can't see that Hushai is actually speaking about David. He wants that to be true about him, and that's what he hears. So Absalom then looks to his advisor, Ahithophel. So he's in Jerusalem. David is on the run, and he goes to his advisor. He says, okay, now what do I do? And the scriptures tell us that when Ahithophel spoke, people viewed it as the very words of the Lord. But watch what he tells David to do. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give your counsel. What shall we do? And Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go in to your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house. And all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father, and the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and Absalom went in to his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now in those days the counsel of Ahithophel gave was the one consulted by the word of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed, both by David and by Absalom. So Absalom invades the most intimate and private world of his father. He makes it worse by being in such a public display where he pitches a tent, takes the concubines, and everyone knows what is going on. And here's what Absalom is doing. He is getting to the place there will be absolutely no return. He's drawing a line in the sand, and he is burning all of his bridges with his father, because this is what kings would do to overthrow other kings. But last week, we saw Absalom rising up against his father. But let me remind you of the judgment that Nathan brought to David. Last week, we saw the first half of the fulfillment. It's in chapter 12, verse 11, and this is what it says. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will rise up evil against you out of your own house. And we saw that Absalom is rising he wants to kill David, reign in his place, his very own son. But then, and I will take your wives before your eyes, and I will give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the son. What we're seeing is the second half of the judgment being carried out. Last week it was, listen, sin has consequences. But those consequences are actually forms of God's grace, reminding us of how dangerous sin is. But here's lesson three. Ahithophel gives this advice. And Absalom, he carries out the plan. And it is meant to overthrow David's kingdom. But in fact, he's actually carrying out God's plan. So lesson three is God can use what others mean for evil for our good and His purposes. You know, we probably 
have experienced hurts, some physical. You've experienced betrayal, manipulation. Maybe not like David has. But everyone has suffered. You've endured pain. You've been manipulated. You have felt betrayed. Hurt by the actions or the words of someone else. And it cannot be totally avoided. So what do we do? How, how do we as believers, as Christians, as followers of Christ, how do we respond when we're hurt? One, remember that we often make quick, rash, and many times bad decisions when we're hurt. Man, when we feel cornered, or we're suffering, or we feel rejected, so be careful. The second thing we saw is that we can only respond rightly by focusing on the grace that has been shown to us. Remember how much God has done for us that hopefully we can respond in the right way because David, he knew what it meant to be a sinner. But he also knew what it meant to be forgiven. And that's how he was able to move past Shimei's words and his insults and even dodge some rocks. Because he was focusing on what had been done for him. He said, let him be. But the third lesson is that God can use what others mean for evil for our good. Nothing that happens to us, good or bad, happens without first passing through God's perfect will for your life. Everything that happens, He first has to approve of it. But God uses all of the evil to turn about good. But that should really sound familiar. I mean, my mind immediately jumps to that man Joshua. We see Joseph. Remember the coat of many colors. He's sold into slavery by his brothers. Oh, but then God was preparing him to not only save his brothers, but his entire family, and eventually raise up the kingdom of Israel. Then my mind quickly goes to Jesus, who was betrayed by one of his closest followers, Judas. What Judas was doing out of selfishness and greed and sin God was using it to bring about his plan of redemption. Because without the betrayal, you would never have the salvation. And then isn't it beautiful what you see Jesus doing later? Is you see Jesus turning and saying, Father, forgive them. Jesus allowed sin and evil to do whatever it wanted to him. And then he turns around and he offers redemption and forgiveness. So the promise is that God is always using what others mean for evil for your good and His purposes always. So I'd love to ask you, is there pain or hurt in your life this morning that is causing you to doubt God's goodness and His faithfulness? Will you turn that over to Him this morning so that you can believe that nothing happens in your life, good or bad, that first doesn't first pass through His loving and caring will? Because if you are a child of God, He is always working for your good. But when evil happens in your life, whether by circumstances or by someone's actions, do you have a peace that passes all understanding and believing that God will use that? If you don't this morning, our prayer as a church would be that you would find trust in Jesus Christ, that you would lay your life down for Him. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, forgiveness is one of the hardest 
task of, of kingdom living. But yet it is one of the most essential. Lord, thank you for our greatest gift, your son Jesus Christ, who came that we might be forgiven. Lord, this morning, would you give us courage to show mercy and forgiveness that Jesus first showed to us. That when others offend us, would you help us quickly to be able to respond like David did. And when we're the ones that offend, would you help us to be quick to acknowledge our wrong and do whatever is necessary for reconciliation. And Lord, give us grace to respond as David did. Help us to remember that you are bigger and more powerful than any evil in this world. And whatever we might endure, whether it is circumstances or caused by someone else, that those are only fleeting moments for a life to come. A life of peace and comfort and joy that we could never have in this life. Lord, help us to be able to trust you that you will work all things for our good, as painful as it may be. And Lord, we ask all of these things in the name of your precious Son, Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.